With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod. Pina, who is everywhere on the internet these days, writing Michael... We had history yesterday. We're taping this on a Thursday morning. As I'm, uh, I'm sure our listeners know, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday decided not to take the court for their 4 p.m. game against the Orlando Magic. It was scheduled to be Game Five of a first-round playoff series. Instead, they remained in the locker room and held a team meeting for more than three hours um, before you know coming out and making a brief statement to a, a small group of media members that had assembled outside their locker room at the arena here in the NBA's bubble. That decision was really the first domino that set off an entire chain. You had the other two games that were scheduled for Wednesday between the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, as well as the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Those games were also postponed with the intent to reschedule. And you saw other sports uh, follow the lead, whether it's the WNBA, uh, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, all Uh, had some of their games uh, or all of their games uh, postponed um, in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting in Wisconsin. Michael, it was a very, very crazy day. The tension has been noticeable here over the last three or four days within the bubble, and yet still I do think the Bucks' decision caught a lot of people off guard. If you'll indulge me, I want to just walk or kind of do a, a mental stroll back through my day yesterday sort of what it was like being in the arena as this entire thing unfolded. How's that sound? I have been waiting for this since it happened. I mean, we're, we're living through history right now. You are on the scene. I can only imagine just how wild yesterday was for you. I'm speaking as someone who was on the outside, just, you know, sitting on my couch with my jaw open all day long. And I can't even figure out like what you were trying to do i mean you're you're on the scene working so like what what 
<laughs> what transpired for you, Ben? No, it was pretty wild. So let me just say, first of all, on Tuesday night, before all this took place, Doc Rivers gave a very emotional speech, which I'm sure a lot of people saw. And after he finished that speech, I asked him a couple questions about this idea of a boycott or a strike, whatever you want to call it, because a number of players had already said by that point they were weighing this decision. And of mm-hmm. course, the Clippers had been in that same spot during the 2014 playoffs. And Doc, you know, engaged with the question very directly. He was kind of making the case that the players should continue to play. But at the end of his answer, he did throw in, look, if the players say no, it's a no. And to me, that those words kind of hung in my mind. And, and so I wrote that story, you know, presenting just his perspective on the, the idea of a walkout or a boycott. And, um, you know, I went to bed thinking, huh, this story is just getting started. This is not over. Even though we had just seen the games continue to be played on Tuesday, the Clippers actually played an excellent game, you know, put up more than 150 points. Uh, some, some aspects of the week were going about as normal, but others just were not. And it was clear that uh, you know, there was a lot of players who were really upset. And I think a lot of people had actually circled that Raptors-Celtics game one mm-hmm. scheduled for Thursday as the possible moment of some different type of protest. So I'm going to just keep all the details here um, in and on the record, just kind of uh, for levity's sake, Michael. So yesterday afternoon, I taped a podcast and I was pretty much leading with how excited I was that uh, they were serving the veggie panini for lunch because it has this great focaccia bread. Like that was my big win for the day. It's like, yes, I'm going to have a veggie panini. This is great. Give me two of them. Give me three of them. You know, I'm finally getting some good meals. I mean, that was sort of like my personal headline, you know, heading to the arena yesterday. And uh, just for context, they play these triple headers and they were playing some quadruple headers early. And for the media members who are here in the bubble, it's much more common to go to the later games rather than the earlier games, uh, because that's sort of typically when the Lakers and the Clippers are playing. Um, And so usually the crowds are pretty thin from a media standpoint at those early games. And when I got there at about 3.30, I set up my desk like I normally do at the arena. I had my iced tea bottle. I had my bubbly water bottle. I plugged in my laptop, got it all charged up, had my phone ready. You know, I looked around and, you know, there's pretty much, I think, two other writers um, in the building for this game. And, and, you know, honestly, the only reason why I went, well, of course, I wanted to see Giannis put up, you know, 35, 18 and 9 on Big Vooch. Um, but also because, you know, it was, it was possibly the end of the Magic season, right? And it was also just a milestone potential game for the, the Bucks, where, you know, they advance. Now you're going to ask some questions about the Miami Heat matchup. You know, there, there's some newsworthy angles to it. So that's why I decided to go. But typically, I, I don't go to that early game. Uh, right about 3.50, I would say, I had been settled in. I was looking at the court. And, Michael, something struck me. Um, there was only one team. Well, what's going on here? <laughs> Usually, there's two teams, right? Like, what's happening? And so at that moment, you know, I started – the wheel started to turn. I was thinking, huh, you know, George Hill made those comments earlier this week about why are we even here – the shooting of Jacob Blake took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, not too far away from Milwaukee. Um, you know, there's been a lot of chatter here and frustration the last couple of days. You know, is this the right thing to do to play or not to play? Um, you know, all of the Kyrie Irving backstory kind of hung over this moment as well. And I was thinking, wow, this doesn't feel right. My, my, my spidey senses were, were tingling a little bit. 
And you could notice these little things like the referees huddling near center court trying to figure out what to do. All of a sudden, one of the NBA's PR people starts briskly walking uh, towards the back, which that's a little bit unusual, the the way that that Mm -hmm. unfolded. So I just started seeing all these things that were a little bit out of the ordinary. But the last thing you want to do is be the guy who shouts fire in a crowded theater. Like, I didn't want to tweet, hey, there's a strike. And then the Bucks jog out on the court a couple minutes later. Maybe they were just having a team meeting, right? So I was kind of like starting to carefully word the tweets like, hey, the Magic are the only team out here. And what was also hanging in my mind was, you know, Joel Embiid didn't show up on the court for one of his games until six minutes before it was time for tip off like a week or two ago. And so I was thinking like, huh, like, is it just possible these guys are just late arriving? Like you, you, you wanted to give them every benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're having a team meeting about what to do and it's running late and you know, who knows all these different scenarios. You just don't want to call it early, right? I mean, you don't want to be in like the, the Bush versus Gore situation where you're, you're making predictions and it goes the other direction. So um, after a couple of minutes, there was only a few minutes left on the game clock, the magic leave the court. And at that point, Michael, I realized you can't hold a game with zero teams. That seems impossible. And so, the referee. So real quick, did you at that point, like, I I can picture you sitting in your media seat with your headphones on and you're just kind of hunched over your laptop. You've got the briefcase. Did you just pack up and start walking towards the locker rooms at that point or just what was what was your kind of where was your head at? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Right. So I didn't pack up. I left my stuff because, you know, I didn't know how long we were going to be there, what kind of a a night we were in store for. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I also didn't want to be like burdened in case I needed to like I don't know. I'm not evading security. You know, I'm not like uh, like <laughs> slinking through the hallways. But every once in a while, you, you know, you just kind of play dumb and walk around and see where you can, you know, see what you can see. Um, so once the magic left the court, I basically followed the magic to the back. And, you know, I was trying to just peek in their locker room a little bit as they were getting settled. And they were obviously in their full uniforms, standing around, just kind of like waiting to get word for like what was happening, right? Mm-hmm. And the Bucks had not communicated their plan to the league officials on site. They had not communicated it to the referees. They had not communicated it uh, to the Magic because those guys were out on the court, you know, getting ready to go. So everyone's just trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, before too long, it became clear, okay, these guys are, are just not playing, right? And we're just sort of waiting for the official word. So ultimately, as I'm kind of wandering around the back hallways, you know, I run into the NBA uh, PR group and they're like, you can't be here. So you need to go stand over there. So they set up like a little makeshift, you know, pen for the media. <laughs> and we're basically just like standing there uh, outside the Bucks locker room, mm-hmm. waiting for them to tell us what's going on, to make a statement, to issue a press release, to kind of confirm their decision. And, you know, again, at this moment, there's probably only about four, maybe five media members. And then over the course of the next uh, three hours, as we waited for the Bucks to come out, that group swelled to about 15 or 20 people, I'd say. Wow. Um, So I guess like... Man, so like, I guess, what were you thinking when it took, so it took, what, three hours for them to come out of the locker room and release their statement at that, during that time, are you just like in the wind, checking Twitter, seeing what's going on? Are you hearing anything coming out of the locker room at all? Are you, uh, are you expecting a statement to come like 
on the horizon just like where are you with with what was going on like are, are you is it was it just total confusion and chaos or did you kind of understand that hey okay the bucks are boycotting this game because jacob blake was shot in the back seven times and they're going to let us know why and what they've been doing this whole time just what was that kind of uh environment like so I just kind of knew that it was the Jacob Blake situation from the start. I think one of my very first tweets, even before the Magic had left the court, was something along those lines that, you know, the Bucks mm-hmm. had expressed outrage about Jacob Blake. So it was more, what were their requests going to be? Who were they going to be appealing to? What was the statement going to look like? Those were the main questions. Um, and, you know, as somebody who's followed sports and, you know, labor disputes in the past, like... This was kind of always an option. It was always a third rail possibility of like a team that would walk out or they would strike or they would boycott. I mean, you read about it in the history books. So as it was unfolding, I was definitely putting the pieces together and I I kind of saw where they were going with it. We still wanted to hear from them. So, uh, you know, we're basically reporting through phones, text messages, um, some phone calls and, and just trying to get a clearer sense for what's happening. But once we realized right about 430 when it was clear the Bucks just weren't going to play, at that moment, it also became clear, like, look, these other games aren't going to happen. Like, there's no way that, like, NBA PA chief Chris Paul is just going to take mm-hmm. the court across the street and play their game like normal when the Bucks have just not played, right? They made this big statement where LeBron's not going to be out there on the court trying to close out the Blazers in five hours because these guys uh, have clearly made a statement that's much bigger than the sport itself, right? So, Could I, could I could just could I interject for two seconds? Because when the Bucks did decide to boycott this game, you know, as you said, they did not communicate that with any other teams or any other players or uh, any league officials, of course. So from from my perspective, I was still thinking, and I was still curious at that time before the game actually happened that, uh, like, I thought it was possible to be honest with you, that the other two games would still be played because Chris Paul is the president of the union and because LeBron James has been so outspoken this entire time about his commitment to uh, still playing because he's down in the bubble and that he can still affect change by utilizing the NBA's platform. And so to be honest with you, like I thought that this was just going to be a one-off situation. And I still thought it was historic in the moment, but... I was kind of blown away when I saw and realized that the other two games would also be canceled. No, I'm with you, uh, but I think that there was such a tension in the air that the days uh, beforehand, guys saying, we don't necessarily want to play, we want to be out protesting. Mm -hmm. There was just a feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, sadness, fear. You know, even LeBron expressed that earlier in the week, that once they made that move, I think it kind of provided cover for a lot of other people who probably would have just gone ahead with the games if it had been left up to them. And we should say they caught themselves by surprise as well, by the way, because the Bucks players showed up at the arena in their jerseys, in their mm-hmm. warm-ups. They were ready to play. Uh, they had a couple guys come out and shoot, I believe, like an hour or two before the game, before I even arrived at the arena. So this was sort of a late-breaking decision, and I think there's been some reporting about the idea that um, you know, they're, they're sort of 
working through it in real time and and they did I, I believe apologize to those other players for not kind of giving them the heads up I mean ultimately it was the Bucks decision to make in my opinion because of the geographical location uh, you know relative to their home market and, and Kenosha and how they're feeling about that and also given their history of, of police brutality with the city of Milwaukee I mean you could understand right. why um, you know they would be the ones who do it Michael can I give you one lighter detail um, about this entire thing Please. We're waiting for more than three hours for them to come out with a statement. And at one point, they actually brought in a whiteboard. Anytime you bring in a whiteboard, you know it's going to be a while, right? And they're probably trying to put together <laughs> uh, you know, their, their list of, of causes or how they want to make the statement and everything else. But mm-hmm. they took so long in this meeting, Michael, that the players wound up needing to use the restroom. And we were able to sort of determine that their locker room, which was a converted equipment storage room, that actually only had a capacity of 49 people, so we're not talking about a very big space. There was only one door in and one door out. So there was no way for the Bucks to sneak out to their bus and bail, right? They had to kind of come by the media. And there was also no way for them to use the bathroom, Michael. So the Bucks players were actually slowly, one by one, uh, coming out you know, uh, to go use the bathroom and then going back into the locker room afterwards. And as they were walking by, they did not want to make eye contact. They did not want to say hi to anyone. You know, some no. of these players, you know, they, they know the media members pretty well who were there. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, it was like, you know, this very uh, strange interlude where these guys were coming out. And, and George Hill came out with the uh, Barack Obama T-shirt, went into the bathroom, went right back to the locker room, and they, they picked right back up. Giannis came out at one point. Um, Kyle Korver came out. Chris Middleton came out. So... Um, it was, I think that just underscores, I mean, the, the craziness of this dynamic, um, but also the idea that this was happening in real time, right? They, they hadn't necessarily planned out every detail, um, perfectly because, um, you know, ultimately they had to walk through a group of media members for their bathroom breaks. Were you able to, that's a, yes, that is a wonderful, thank you for providing some levity to this, this, uh, conversation. Um, were you able, I'm just curious, to kind of process in real time just how historic and totally unprecedented this was? Because I, you know, I, I interviewed Len Elmore, uh, former NBA player, uh, professor at uh, Columbia University now who teaches a, a course about uh, social activism in relationship to professional athletes. Uh, really knows a lot about the subject. And I asked him if it was basically an unprecedented scenario. And he said the only thing that it compared to was when professional sports shut down after Martin Luther King was assassinated and when JFK was assassinated. And this is very much different because uh, it is entirely player driven. And there was no, it was no initial action by the league or the teams. It was it was the players, and that is that is unprecedented in North American professional sports, as far as he was aware. So you were seeing something that had basically never happened before, uh, to say nothing of it happening inside of a, a bubble in Florida during a pandemic. Um, but were you able to kind of process just how uh, ridiculous is not the right word, but how once in a lifetime this was? Yes, and here's why. I was actually sitting near one of the NBA's uh, higher-ranking officials um, before the game, mm-hmm. and I was seeking a clarification once they didn't show up on when do you 
uh, call it a forfeit? Uh, when do you call it a postponement? Um, do, does Orlando win this game because Milwaukee didn't show up? I mean, basically, like, what's the letter of the law? And this mm-hmm. person, it's basically his job to know the letter of the law. And he looked at me and shook his head and was like, Ben, we've never been here. I have no idea. This is <laughs> this is like a once in a lifetime <laughs> thing. And it's like, you know, it's sort of like imagining being in like, um, you know, one of those uh, you know, bunkers to like plan a war. And the secretary of defense is like, bro, I have no idea what we're doing with Iran. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you know, that's not the, uh, the um, not the response that you're expecting in that particular mm-hmm. moment. So. Um, for me, that that made it hit home, but also, um, you know, just to to finish off the the blow by blow here. So they do w- wind up coming out after about three hours, and I'm sure everyone's watched the video of their statement. I don't know if you agree with me, Michael. They looked quite nervous. You saw a number of players coming out with their hands in their pockets. Um, you saw a lot of um, you know when they were reading the statement, looking down at the paper, making sure they got it right, obviously, but also just you know shuffling feet. Um, eyes towards the ground. I think that the it, it really hit the players how real this was when they saw the media attention here because ultimately a lot of the scrums that you're going to, um, especially for the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, there's been times I've been the only person to listen to Mike Budenholzer after a game or, or maybe two or three people in there for Giannis for uh-huh. a post-game comment. And here you had almost every media member who was uh, you know in the bubble with access to the players um, was there. So I think that that gave them a little taste of it. And I'm sure they've been tracking um, all the uh, developments online as well. So I sent some nerves for them when they came out and read that statement. And, but I was not surprised with the gist of the statement in terms of, you know, demanding justice, calling on the Wisconsin legislators to kind of step up and uh, address some of these issues. And then also just, you know, kind of putting it out there, hey, this is who we are. These are our values. Um, you know, we're you know, we're trying to make sure that this goes down in history. We're taking a bigger step than that's ever been taken before. None of those things particularly surprised me once I heard them read it. Uh, and also, you know, the idea that George Hill and Sterling Brown were the guys who delivered the message. It also wasn't that surprising um, in part because of what George Hill had said earlier in the week and obviously because of Sterling Brown's history with the, um, the Milwaukee Police Department. So that part... Um, actually unfolded kind of like right on schedule, uh, you know, or, or right to expectations. It just took them, you know, more than three hours. And that wait was pretty agonizing. I mean, there's a video of me on TNT with like my, my, uh, my <laughs> so hands, <great>. my hands <laughs> on my head and everyone's like checking in. Are you okay? And I just want to let everybody know I'm, I'm doing fine. It's just, you know, the print deadlines are no joke. You can't just say, Hey, hold this for, <laughs> you know, another 30 minutes. We're waiting on George Hill. Like you've got to have a story. And, you know, in that moment I was, uh, you know, separated from my computer, which was back by the court. Um, I had to stand and kind of jockey for space, you know, for this, uh, post game, or, or sorry, yeah, yeah, I guess post-game press conference, if you want to call it that, post-protest uh, press conference. And um, so, you know, the idea that the clock was ticking and every minute that they were kind of debating their statement was another minute I didn't have to write. That's sort of where that stress comes in. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't my finest moment on national TV, Michael. You looked great. Don't worry about it. Um, I just really want to say that, you know, for me personally, watching – the players come out and watching them clearly have nerves, as you said. Like, I was getting a little, like, emotional because this was, this is something that I've always thought that 
NBA players in particular, because I follow the NBA, I love the NBA, and I think that the NBA is the most progressive professional sports league. So if it was ever going to happen, it was going to happen in the NBA, where they truly put their money where their mouth is, at least so far. Um, And the phrase, it's bigger than basketball, is no longer trite. It is real. They are truly saying that this this issue is bigger than basketball to the point where there will be no more basketball until short-term change is short-term tangible change uh is is seen and felt. And so yeah, I, I just seeing that was very powerful to me, uh, understanding that they probably understood, maybe they didn't, but I think they, they would have to understand that they are making a humongous sacrifice. Uh, and this is so much different than wearing a slogan on the back of your jersey or, uh, you know, uh, through negotiation with the NBA and talks with the NBA, having Black Lives Matter painted on the court. And those moves are good to amplify awareness to the issue. But we've talked about this a million times, Ben. They are not like change agents. Change agents. They do not... Uh, they're not going to uh, accelerate legislation. We've seen that again, time and time again with players calling for Breonna Taylor's killers to be brought to justice. So this is them basically saying, like, we are not like, we'll see how long it goes, because if this is a one off or, or games are played on Monday, then what I'm saying right now is a little bit irrelevant. But, you know, they've basically said that we are going to forego payment um, because uh, I would imagine that owners are not going to pay players uh, who are not playing basketball games, which is completely understandable. And they are effectively striking and boycotting. And I think right now it's a boycott. It will be a strike if this goes on for a week or two or even longer or games never resume and the season just gets canceled. But I I thought in real time in the moment it was... I should say once I realized that the Laker game, because it has LeBron James in it, once that was canceled slash postponed, whatever, that's when I realized that this was just uh, a massive, massive story that we have never seen before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's it's difficult to wrap your mind around, like, what are the next step? Like, where does this go? Um, you know, also on Wednesday night, there was a meeting of the NBA players that, you know, basically did not create a resolution. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of tried to hash out, um, you know, discussions of what were the Bucks thinking? What, you know, why do they do this now? Um, they, you know, what's the next move? Do you try to continue this postseason? Do you just try to say, pull the plug and go home? And there are a lot of factors weighing on these players' minds. I think we shouldn't overlook the idea of, you know, the isolation aspect within the bubble. I want to highlight that because, look, I think when a lot of people watch that Jacob Blake video, and this is for NBA players, but also uh, normies like us, Michael, when you watch that video, doesn't it take you right back to George Floyd and think like, hey, man, like there's been zero progress. This is the exact same thing. Everything that happened between those two um, situations uh, just it feels like it's uh, meaningless because you know here we go again and I think LeBron expressed that sentiment a lot of other players expressed that sentiment and I think the key difference is you know even for the George Floyd situation players were with their families they were in their communities if you wanted to hug your kids and hug your wife and go out and protest with your community 
you could at least grieve that way. You could at least process those emotions that way. And here, you're on the regimented every other day as a game schedule. It's pretty unforgiving. Um, you know, you're, you're, it's either practice or shoot around or game. And then, you know, rinse and repeat. And you don't have those comforts. You know, we heard Paul George describe how he was feeling anxiety and depression, how he met with a psychiatrist this week. The players mm-hmm. have been in the bubble now for almost uh, two full months. And I think that those are contributing factors here to the frustration level. Not only are the players feeling helpless, like they can't change a, you know, a society that has systemic racism, they're also feeling helpless because they can't even do anything except for get on FaceTime to talk to their loved ones. And they don't have anyone to kind of turn to to express and to share these feelings. And I think that weighs on it too. You know, this idea that the playoffs kind of need to, needed to be put on pause, I think is a completely fair way to present it. Um, now, at the same time, there's been some phenomenal on-court performances. So this is not to say like the guys are you know falling to pieces. You look at Luca and LeBron and Paul George himself with the bounce-back game. I mean, this week alone, there's been some sensational basketball taking place. But when it's the body language, it's the the comments being made by various players. Um, it gets into that situation where it's hard for them to keep their hearts in it because this is such a draining and emotionally taxing situation to process and you're doing it in an environment that is so unlike what you're used to yeah that's really well said i think one of the frustrating elements of this is that maybe frustrating is a a little too harsh of a word but we we talked about like before the season came back when uh, when Avery Bradley and Kyrie Irving were kind of lobbying for the season uh, not to return because it would be a distraction, um, et cetera, that when, the, when slash if the bubble took place and there were games there and you couldn't leave because of the pandemic, like during that three-month span, it was an it was very predictable to me, and I'm sure it was to a majority of the players. I hope it was that uh, there would be another uh, event where a white police officer would shoot an unarmed black person on camera. That that's just the country that we live in. So I, you kind of are in a situation where that's going to happen, and you should maybe anticipate it and like before you go down there and I hope I'm not sounding too critical but like the you know I see Jalen Brown's tweet about I want to go protest and we said this months ago it was like this is going to happen again these guys are going to be in the bubble and they're not going to be able to protest and there's going to be protests in the street so I'm just kind of I wonder if the players actually thought, you know, the players who are very fed up and frustrated with uh, how they've used their platform to affect change, not seeing that change. Like, I'm kind of like, did you really expect overnight change for a problem that has been going on for centuries in this country? And let me stand up for them. I'm not sure that they do. I just mm-hmm. think that the the shared helplessness that a lot of people are feeling around the country right now on this issue, it's just more intense in the bubble because you don't feel like you have a community. Like your community is your competitors and it's your colleagues. It's the guys who you've kind of conditioned your whole life to go out there and beat on the court, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's different. Like I, I will even just say personally, watching that video was different, you know, being away from, you know, 
home, being away from, you know, anyone, you know, like my family members, like it, it, it does, you just interpret it differently um, than you would, uh, you know, if you were in a normal environment. And so I think that's just exacerbating their, their helpless and hopeless and frustration and fear feelings um, because, you know, they, they, I think, view what they've done here with a certain amount of pride. I mean, they've put a lot of thought and care into their coordinated effort with their comments. And mm-hmm. I think my biggest message to the players would be this. You guys are making a difference. People are hearing you. The comments from Doc Rivers and LeBron James and Jalen Brown and Fred Van Vliet, those are being spread far and wide. You're reaching a lot of people. And this protest reached even more. It's the front page of every newspaper, you know, uh, certainly for the Post. Um, it was on the front page today. Um, it was leading major news programs. I think in some ways it might have even overshadowed the Republican National Convention last night, um, which is not easy to do when you're talking about just you know, pure news stories. Mm-hmm. And so uh, some of the helplessness that uh, they're feeling about the reality, I do think that it would be helpful to step back for them and to be like, look, you're not going to change all of American society overnight, as Michael, you're describing but you're doing a lot of really good work and it's getting through to people. And I, I think in my opinion, if they were to, you know, end the season, that, that potentially triggers a lockout heading into next year, right? And where do those voices go? Where does all of that commentary go? Um, will it be as organized? Will it be as coordinated? Will it be as much saturation coverage of what NBA players think on this issue? I'm not sure. And so it puts those NBA guys right back in the same dilemma that they were weighing two months ago with Kyrie, which is, you know, is it a distraction or is this actually a great opportunity? And my personal take, just being at a lot of these press conferences, you know, having Doc Rivers almost crying the other night and, and hearing LeBron speak passionately about Breonna Taylor and, uh, you know, Jacob Blake, I personally think they're making a, a difference. I really do. Um, and if they weren't down here in the bubble and they weren't conducting themselves as they have been, I think we would all be worse off for it. I hear everything you're saying and I agree with a lot of it I think that it goes back to this issue of when you when you actually protest when you have a real protest which is what this was when you upset people when you affect people's profitability and when I say people I'm talking about literal billionaires uh, that is when you are able to affect change in a short-term way and so When I see LeBron, you know, who has been so committed to playing in the bubble and to utilizing his platform, and he's doing a fantastic job, superhuman level effort with the More Than a Vote campaign and everything that they are doing and and the pressure that they put on um, a lot of different uh, organizations. And that's wonderful. But for him to suddenly kind of do a 180, and I do not know if he was posturing or if he was bluffing, or if he was trying to get the owner's attention, but walking out of Wednesday night's meeting um, and effectively voting, and not voting, because that it was reported that basically it's just, I don't really know what the word is, but he, he him and the Clippers, the, the Lakers and the Clippers were the two teams there that were basically like, we don't really think that the season should continue. And you can't really have a season continue without those two teams, right? Like no one's going to watch and think that any of this is valid. Uh, if the two favorites or two of the three favorites or whatever are not there. But I do think that by striking or boycotting or whatever this is, you put a lot of pressure on people who do not like to lose money and people who 
are able to leverage economic and political power that players, frankly, don't even have. Uh, not even LeBron James, because he's not a, a, a multi-billionaire like Steve Ballmer or Mark Cuban or whoever. And those are the people who can pick up the phone and immediately make something happen. Those are the most powerful people in the country. So you're not really getting them to lift a finger by wearing group economics on the back of your jersey. You are getting them to lift a finger if you basically say there's going to be no MBA going forward. Your value of your organization is going to plummet uh, if we do not see some more action. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade. At the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So, Michael, we just took a quick break to process the uh, the breaking news that the NBA playoffs are going to continue. They are not going to completely pull the plug. Um, I would just admit up front that I thought this was the player's decision. Uh, they could sort of take it any direction that they wanted. Um, you know, it's probably not uh, my position as someone reporting on this to try to you know steer the conversation one way or the other. I will be completely transparent. Uh, there is a certain sense of uh, relief I have here because of uh, the possible worst case scenarios that were out there. If they weren't able to you know finish these playoffs, if that triggered a lockout, if 
uh, the owners and uh, you know players were you know kind of a, back across the negotiating table for months and months on end. Um, you know, I, I've been there before as a writer covering the the last lockout. And I would not wish that on my worst enemy, frankly. And I, I certainly <laughs> uh, wouldn't want uh, the players who have sacrificed so much here over the last, you know, month and a half or so to, you know, set themselves and have the conversation, I guess is a better way to put it, uh, set back to square one. Michael, what is your immediate reaction here? I guess I would character- characterize mine as relief. Uh, what's yours? Mine is a little more gray and not so much black and white. I mean, on one hand, I love watching the NBA. I was getting into a groove here where uh, the basketball, as you said it from the start, has been pretty excellent. And, you know, there are a lot of fun NBA-related narratives that we get to sink our teeth into on this show and as writers and as just fans of basketball. And that's great. Um, And then on the other hand, it's kind of like, what was this for as a method of activism? And so I'm just going to read you really quickly. I mentioned uh, this interview I did with Len Elmore, which I really implore people to go check out at GQ.com because he's one of the smartest people I've ever interviewed. I'm not even being hyperbolic, and this is really his bread and butter subject. So one of the things he said to me was when I asked him what his first reaction was to yesterday's decision by the players to sit out, he said, quote, now the question is, can they sustain? Just sitting out once, it's symbolic, but it doesn't change anything. What they've got to do is they've got to start building that wave. You notice the Milwaukee Brewers and Cincinnati Reds are not playing either. What impact is that going to have on other teams and other sports? It remains to be seen. And then, you know, he goes on to talk about this in more detail and just how a one-off or a two-day protest is a lot different than going on strike and actually affecting, uh, making the, the the policy changes that you um, that you want and that you've been talking about. And so, I just think like, on one hand, yes, I'm glad that basketball is coming back, and then on the other, it's a little bit like the players, if we are to view this as a labor issue, as a management versus uh, a a labor force issue, the players kind of like caved here in a way that I find disheartening if we do not find out that there has been any more action uh, on behalf of the league and on behalf of the ownership groups. That sounds to me a little bit harsh. Um, I wouldn't necessarily use that word. I do think it is important context to remember the Bucks did this independently, right? This was not the unified type action that the players had discussed trying to Very utilize uh, on the protests. And so, um, you know, I think that some people would consider a walkout, especially with no warning, to be a fairly radical step. Um, that's the kind of thing that you would want to talk through. I could understand why some teams and players would feel blindsided by that. And I would understand if they wanted to ask the Bucks, like, hey, did you really think through all the ramifications of what you're doing here? And what's your long-term plan? How many games were you planning to sit out? Was this a one-time thing? Or was this really an organized labor stoppage? And I think uh, some commentators on Twitter were almost hoping or rooting for the organized labor stoppage. And to me, there was a question, how organized was it? If the players are showing up wearing their jerseys, ready to play. Um, You wouldn't do that if you already knew you were going to be sitting down and this was going to be kind of a long-term thing, right? So um, to me, it was a little bit more of a spontaneous action. 
And I do still want to give them credit for the size and scope and the magnitude of what they did. How they handle the fallout will absolutely be important. I do think there's a lot of accountability, um, you know, on their side that they're going to want to ensure, you know, from the owners in terms of uh, uh, getting whatever concessions that they possibly can get. And, uh, you know, hopefully they continue to pursue that. Can I give you an alternate perspective of what Doc Rivers shared with me on Tuesday night? And I would like to know your reaction because uh, I think he's a smart guy. Um, I'm not sure that we've given IQ tests to both him and Len Elmore. I mean, maybe Len Elmore (laughs) would beat him on the IQ test, but these are both thoughtful, experienced people who have been around the sport for a long time. Mm -hmm. And here was Doc's take. You know, he said, um, well, first of all, he he based, I'll just get his political statement out of the way first. He says, watching the Republican convention, they're spewing this fear. All you hear is Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We are the ones getting killed. We are the ones getting shot. We are the ones who were denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. All you keep doing is hearing about fear. It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. Um, So he continues to say, if you watch that video of Jacob Blake shooting, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You need to be American and outraged. How dare the Republicans talk about fear? We are the ones that need to be scared. And, uh, you know, he goes on to complain about no charges for Breonna Taylor. But then I asked him, you know, on the on the issue of the boycott or the walkout, you know, what is your message to the players? And he says, my message is to go after your dreams. You don't allow anything to take you away from your dreams. During the Donald Sterling thing, Matt Barnes, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin and J.J. Redick all pulled together. When we were little kids in the backyard by ourselves and we had these dreams about winning a championship, Donald Sterling was not in our dreams and neither were these cops. And then he finally says, I think you always play. We can fight for justice, but we should still do our jobs. I really believe that by doing our jobs, people are seeing excellence from Americans, black Americans and white Americans. I would still do my job. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he did, you know, kind of throw out the caveat of, look, if the players say no, it's a no. Do you find um, Doc's defense of the the value and the merits of playing to be compelling or would you take a stance of well he's part of the machine he's you know he's been so ingrained in the nba for so long that um you know maybe he is you know speaking on behalf of a corporation or a monolith as opposed to speaking on behalf of um like you know individuals here who are hurting no i i i heard doc say that and i I don't disagree with what Doc Rivers is saying at all. I think this is such a complex issue. And to clarify, when I said the players cave, I'm specifically just talking about as like a labor issue, um, which this technically uh, is and was was becoming. Um, I, I yeah, so I, I agree with what Doc is saying, and I think that. I think that the players having their platform is important. I think that Draymond Green kind of echoed this, a similar sentiment on Twitter last night or early this morning uh, about how having a job to do is very important. And once you kind of make that commitment and you go down there and you're able to speak on the issues and have people's attention, that is potentially superior to dispersing throughout the the country, not playing basketball. And then are you as engaged as you would have been in drawing attention to these issues uh, if no games were being played? So I think it's like a very, it's a very multi-layered 
complex uh, issue. And a lot of, I mean, you can be, there can be many different smart people who have many different opinions on it. I will say something that has really um, intrigued me in all of this in the last 24 or so hours, Ben, is LeBron James, because he is by far still uh, the most powerful player. He might be the most powerful person in the NBA in terms of when he says something. That's what the entire league has to pivot on. And this whole time, since June, since, uh, you know, uh, right after uh, George Floyd was killed and there was uh, uh, there were several players who thought that playing would be a distraction and going to the bubble was a mistake. LeBron has steadfastly and consistently said that uh, playing was important and that uh, leveraging the games and speaking out on the issues was valuable and um and he really never backed away from that and even earlier this week or or late last week he said that when he commits to something he follows through that's just who he is and so uh he is able to actually do things in relate you know uh, related to like the, the more than a vote campaign and still play basketball which is again amazing um last night wednesday night at the players meeting you know, he walks out and says uh, on behalf of, I mentioned this earlier, but on behalf of the Clippers and the Lakers, uh, the two teams that said that they were not going to play. And then we see these reports today that LeBron is pro the season coming back. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm just curious, honestly. I just want to know what has happened um, in his mind over the past, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever it is, 12 hours, like why, why the shift? And I'm not really at, this is like a rhetorical question. I don't think you have an answer for it, but I just wonder, like, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think he's hurting, number one. You go back to his comments about the Jacob Plague thing. It was raw, you know, I mean, he is using profanity on camera. He doesn't do that a ton um, to underscore his points. Um uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, black Americans being hunted by the police. He was bringing in uh, gun control uh, messaging, which, you know, that's a third rail of American politics. And he was he was going there. Mm-hmm. I think he's upset like everyone. Uh, I was surprised to see the, the commentary about him leaving the meeting last night or the reports about that or the idea that he didn't want to play. As we've described earlier, he has the most to lose, uh, you know, if this thing doesn't work. And he has the most to gain if it does work uh, financially, legacy-wise, um, and all of those things. He's also been playing really good basketball this week. And ultimately, like, that's what he loves to do. And so the idea that he would walk away this summer and then also potentially compromise next season by walking away this summer, that seemed unlikely to me. I think the most obvious explanation, Michael, is like, haven't you ever had that moment where, you know, your wife leaves a towel on the bathroom floor and you just lose it, (laughs) you know? And it's like, hey, you know, I'm storming out of the apartment and I'm, you know, I'm threatening a divorce and like, you know, cool. cool, Okay. (laughs) Sure. Could I just say real quick that um, uh, I might be behaving differently uh, if my wife were to leave a towel on the ground, if my behavior... Uh, if like billion do- billion dollar decisions hinged on how I would act uh, with that towel being on the bathroom floor, and also if for months beforehand I said that it's cool that you had that towel on the bathroom floor, and we're gonna work through that, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just very it's very odd, and he is a very 
Uh, he's a human being, but he's also an incredibly intelligent person, a stoic person, someone who is calculated in his decision making. So you don't just walk out of a meeting um, in anger or whatever. Like that is. Well, that's I mean, just first not- of all, you, you you might. I mean, if you're feeling like the George Hill and those guys blindsided you, and you were you know gearing up for a game, and, le- and the next thing you know, now it's out of your control and. You're hearing all these other different players expressing opinions and you're feeling like a lot of the work that's been done over the last month or two is is being undone or the season's in jeopardy. And that could be frustrating for lots of different reasons. I also think that we should uh, not necessarily only rely on reports from no reporters are in that room. Right. So we don't have firsthand accounts. I think that's uh, another aspect to be kind of careful here. And I also think there is a cynical alternative explanation, which would be that report should have scared the daylights out of the NBA owners in the NBA league office, right? Um, You know, I'm not calling it a leverage play, um, but I do think that when you're being forced to confront the idea that players are that upset, and there were a lot of players in the bubble, as we've described, who were really personally upset Mm -hmm. by this, um, to have LeBron's name go on it, it changes the tenor of the conversation, and I do think it it requires that people take it more seriously. So, um, you know, from that standpoint... Did that? Did those reports help the players' cause? Did it, you know, kind of again reframe the conversation for the owners? It's possible. Was this just a matter of LeBron freaking out over the towel? Hey, that's, that's possible too. <laughs> and I don't want to under I don't want to like underestimate that man. Like this, I personally have kind of loved living in the bubble, but I'm a weirdo. I can understand yeah. <laughs> why people who aren't weirdos would not like the bubble, and I could understand why black men would watch that video and be you know, just absolutely devastated by it in a way that I personally can't know, right? And uh, the other night when you're interviewing, I was interviewing Doc and talking to him, he was making eye contact with the couple of reporters who were in the room and his eyes were pleading. It was like he was looking for like a human connection, just someone to like give him that positive feedback of like, I hear you, man, I get it. You know, and he was like kind of in anguish, almost crying. Mm -hmm. It was a very intense moment. And I'll never forget it because it, it was at that level of intense. It, it almost reminded me of going to a funeral where you you know you talk to someone whose husband or wife has passed away, and they just have that look in their eyes. That was the look in Doc Rivers' eyes. These guys down here are hurting, and to maintain perfect control of your emotions, you know, during mm-hmm. an extended meeting, and you know, especially when your whole day got turned upside down unexpectedly. Like I could, you know, I, I'm good, I'm willing to give LeBron a little bit of a, a leeway on this one. Not giving him a full pass, but I do think uh, give him a wider berth, Michael. You're being uh, you're but, being a little strict okay. here. No, I love LeBron uh, so much, and I think he's such an important person, and he does so many great things. My, I just want to before we move on, just say that like him using his leverage and his power now would be tremendous, and whether that be because he thinks that. Uh, you know, he can scare owners around the league. He can scare the league office. And I, for sure, he can, 100%. And Udonis Haslam, there was a report that he said in the meeting, you know, what are we even doing without the Lakers and the Clippers? Like, how are we going to go on? Um, but my thing and the thing that I, I just keep coming back to is what has changed. And maybe it's just, as you're saying, living in the bubble and how weird that is and what that does to your psyche. But what has changed since June when he could have leveraged his – he had the same power 
the the stakes in the situation were were even higher. Some would say after George Floyd, when there were protests going on in fi- all fifty states and across the world, um, and so why did he not express these feelings then? And so that's just kind of what I'm coming back to. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being too critical. I genuinely am coming from a place of curiosity. That's I just want to know what he's thinking. That's all. Well, I'm sure we'll find out. I mean, it's it's going to be the first question on everyone's mind as soon as the Lakers have their their next game. They're not, you know, and obviously it'd be a closeout game against the Blazers. And you know, Damian Lillard has left the bubble, so you know we can assume how that game is going to go. And I think you know the the first couple questions after that game will be you know walk us through the last 72 hours. What were the causes of your frustration? What put your mind at ease to make you want to go forward with this experiment? And then also like are you ready for another six weeks here? Because I think for, if you look at the teams who have been the most impacted in this conversation, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Clippers, these are not teams that are going home next week. Like, you know, possibly the, the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers and the Orlando Magic. Like these are teams who are potentially, again, recommitting at this moment for another five, six, seven weeks uh, of living down here in isolation. And I do think there's a lifeline coming in that some players are going to be able to bring in their family members uh, uh, here very shortly. They'll have access to the bubble, and I think that will help uh, ease some tensions for guys. But, uh, you know, this almost feels uh, now with with the benefit of knowing they want to go forward, this almost feels like halftime, right? Where they just kind of like took a halftime break and, and uh, cleared their heads, maybe had some orange slices and some Capri Suns <laughs> and uh, are trying to get their minds right for the second half. Um, you know, we'll see. Again, I'm not trying to make light of it. I just think when you're you're looking at the timing of the calendar here, you know, I think it's been a you know an exhausting run for these guys for sure. I can tell you, I'm tired just watching them play and typing out what they're talking. Let alone needing to do the talking and needing to do the playing. And uh, I commend them for everything they've done here over the last uh, you know month and a half. Michael, can I ask you one question? And this is a little bit off the wall, a little bit of a curveball. But, uh, you know, Michelle Roberts, I wrote on her this week, and I would really appreciate it if all the Open Floor Glow members would go read that piece. I was pretty happy with how that one came out. Mm-hmm. But she's been living in the bubble um, this whole time. You know, she has the same level of courtside access that you know, the media members um, do. She's actually staying at the Grand Floridian, uh, which is the same hotel as Chris Paul, you know, obviously the president of the Players Association. She's having, you know, poolside conversations with guys every single night. She described to me, you know, those conversations as being, you know, so intimate in terms of the the, the quality of the connection that she said she'd almost miss you know, once the bubble's over because she's had so much quality time with these guys. Mm-hmm. Do you think the fact that Adam Silver hasn't been living in the bubble is something um, that maybe he would regret or the league would regret? Now, he's been able to come down to games, but he stays up kind of in the rafters. He doesn't. He hasn't gone through that same quarantine process that we've gone through yet. There is some talk that he will do that at some point. I'm wondering for this stretch run if there's some real symbolic value to Adam Silver hopping down here in the bubble. I think it might be the right thing for him to do. I think when you have these kind of um, you know crises moments, um, you know the leadership stuff matters a lot. If you look at the reports of who was talking in the meeting last night, it's Doc, it's LeBron. You know, it's Chris Paul, it's the head of, you know, it's Andre Iguodala, it's Udonis Haslam, it's these very respected voices within the basketball, and Adam's a boss, you know? I'm not saying he necessarily needs to be crashing a player's meeting, but I do think his presence 
and his uh, accessibility would go a long way. I just wonder if the optics here are a little bit strange where you have no owners inside the bubble. You have um, no NBA commissioner or, or even the deputy commissioner inside the bubble. And it's just sort of the players, you know, being asked to, uh, you know, put on the show for everyone. I wonder if um, there would be some real benefit to, to Silver coming down here and hopping in the bubble. What do you think? Yeah, I think optically you're spot on him being, I mean, I I was wondering, you know, there's like two people who I'm thinking like, what are they thinking right now yesterday? And those were LeBron and Adam Silver and him not being down there, um, him not, I guess, being able to, I mean, it's really, it's difficult because I don't know how realistic it would be, even if he was down there to communicate with players in an open and frank way or communicate with Michelle Roberts or, uh, and we, like we should say that, Meanwhile, there is a looming uh, collective bargaining modification or renegotiation renegotiation oh, on the horizon. So for sure, there. Let, let me pipe in real quick. Here's the things sure. that they needed to decide for next season. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. The date of the draft, the date of free agency, the date the games start, whether they're going to play in arenas or not in arenas, whether they're <laughs> going to be in a bubble, whether there's going to be fans in the arenas if they do play in the arenas, how much right. money the players will get, how much money the owners will get. Those are the issues on the table right now. Does that sound like everything, Michael? That sounds like pretty much everything, doesn't it? So th- that, that <laughs> is a real, that's a real deal. That's the whole state of the business, right? And um, I think that it should be cause for some long-term concern for basketball observers and fans. You know, Michelle Roberts told me she was optimistic. She feels like um, as long as everybody doesn't get greedy, in her words, they're going to be able to reach a deal on those kinds of things. But Facts are facts. We're almost in September, into September, and they don't know when next season will start officially, and it probably won't start until January or February, she told me. So um, those are massive stakes, I guess is my point. Right. And, you know, there was a, a Roundup article that I read on ESPN that mentioned that ownership, so ownership uh, enacted this $300 million per organization, I think, uh, 10-year. Well, it's it's 300 million total, 1 million per year for 10 years from the 30 teams. Okay, so that is absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of what these these people earn and what they're worth and all that. So um, I read in this article that uh, the owners initially wanted the NBPA to contribute to this fund, which is not a great sign, I would say, if you're talking about just the goalposts and where the players are mentally on this issue and where the ownership, where ownership is. And to say nothing of, and I'm talking about the social justice issue, but that is a factor here. And um, you would think that there would be more, a, a greater sign of goodwill going into what could be a contentious oh, yeah. negotiation. Hey, hey Michael, and, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for dinner, but can you leave the tip? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. that, isn't that the tackiest thing you can possibly do? I mean, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I just wonder how useful it would be beyond optics for Adam Silver to be... Uh, in the bubble, and maybe optics are extremely important. And you know, I'm 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 thinking about what his where his mind is through all of this, and it's just because I'm sure yesterday for sure caught him completely off guard. Um, 
Right. And so, and would it if he was experiencing the same stuff in person, right? Um, look, I was watching a lot of these charged interviews right in front of my face from eight feet away, and I'm not sure I totally understood how much everyone was hurting until the Bucks did what they did. Um, but I do think that it would be impossible to know how much those guys were hurting from New York. You know, I, how, how, or even from the upper rafters of the arena, how would you know? Um, you're just mm-hmm. watching it on television or you're watching the video clips like everybody else. And there's a lot to be said for that personal contact. That doesn't mean he has to be, you know, treating this like a local mayor, you know, kissing babies and, you know, <laughs> sitting courtside no, and, and, at every single and, game. But to, to be present, there's a lot of value in being present. And Chris Paul told me for that Michelle Roberts story, look, you can explain the bubble to anyone for as long as you want, but unless mm-hmm. you're in it, you won't get it, and I agree. Uh, being in it, it's very hard to describe what life is like in it. It totally warps your perception of the outside world, you know, because you're just not connected to people out there. I mean, I, I didn't watch any of the DNC. I haven't watched any of the RNC, and so I think um, you know those kinds of uh, you know just that's those kinds of realities. Your, yeah, that's probably good for your mental health, though. I would imagine. Well, possibly, right? But again, it's just like the world is going on, but you know, we're living sure. out here on Mars is kind of how the feeling is. And uh, you know, us Martians, we've got weird moors, and we're just trying to <laughs> you know invite a few more Earthlings over here to kind of understand what we're dealing with. That's all. Um, right. I, I'm not. I'm not demanding it here. I'm not calling for it. I just wonder if that's the right response to this crisis. It's like you know what, guys, I'm in it with you. I get it. You're all hurting. We're asking a lot. You're playing every single uh, every other day. Um, I'm in it with you for the rest. That's sort of been the tone of his entire tenure, right? Like he's kind of the players commissioner or he's at least, you know, trying to be business partners as opposed to a dictator. Um, well, it might be time. It might be time. Well, this is also, for lack of a better phrase, this is wartime for just the adversarial nature of labor versus management. And so he's been a peacetime commissioner This in, for the greater stretches of his of his tenure so far i would say there have been you know there's obviously or what like this season aside which is just like this total aberration that's uh, absurd on so many different levels um there was the donald sterling controversy and i don't really nothing really uh, other than that really pops into my head as something of great import um and now it's like okay uh we are about to become adversaries so it it is it is a little it's about to be a little more hairy for him uh in a lot of ways because as the commissioner you know he's pulled in a million different directions he has to worry about the owners he has to worry about uh and keeping them happy he has to worry about the players and keeping them happy and he has to worry uh most importantly about the the general health and well-being of the nba which sometimes um is a different thing altogether. So it's it's tough. I I get what you're saying. I don't know, again, like, yeah, I'm not demanding that he get down there either. Um, I would like to see him, I think, more often and hear from him more often just because of all the uncertainty and how important a figure he is and all of this. But beyond that, I don't really know if him being in the bubble matters too much. I hear you. All right, Michael, let's leave it there. It was a fascinating and rich and detailed conversation with some major news right in the middle. We appreciate our listeners sticking with us uh, throughout that journey. Guys, we're reacting as best we possibly can in real time, and we'd love to hear your reactions too. Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail 
at gmail.com. Michael's on Twitter and Instagram at Michael V as in Victor Pina. We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. I am on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Be sure to check out my uh, Twitter page for links to all the coverage from the last couple of days, including um, you know step-by-step um, through the, the Bucks walkout and including the news that just transpired on Thursday with the season going back on at some point in the not-too-distant future. All right, Michael, um, until next week when I imagine we'll be back to talking about basketball but all sorts of other stuff as well, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.